Uh, let me invite you to uh, turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Uh, during the month of May, we are studying the topic of prayer. Uh, a few weeks ago, we ended our Ephesians series by looking at Paul's command to the Ephesians to pray for one another uh, as a church, but then also to pray for him uh, as an evangelist, that he'd be faithful to do his work. And then we've been kind of unpacking prayer Uh, And we'll do so, we'll continue for the next couple of weeks. This morning we want to ask the question, what do you do when you're not sure how to pray? Now that could be because you look at a a set of circumstances and you're you're just not sure uh, what you should do. You're not sure that there's a clear right or wrong answer to it. Or it could be that you're overwhelmed. It could be that your circumstances have have become uh, so impactful in your life that you're overwhelmed and you're just not sure how to pray. Watch the screen. I'm dying, God. I know we're all gonna die. Everybody knows that. But I'm gonna die today. Funny that, you know, to know. thing is, is that I'm still scared. I'm really scared. Nobody will mourn for me. No one will pray for my soul. Will you mourn for me? Will you say a prayer for me? Or is it too late? I mean, I'd say one for myself, but I've never prayed in my life, so. Nobody ever taught me how. Nobody ever taught me how. Uh, So I'm guessing this morning that we don't have anybody who's ever been in a near uh, fatal incident in a space shuttle. (laughs) But that being the case, uh, that feeling of being overwhelmed. Uh, that feeling of, I, I, I wish I knew how to pray. Uh, I wish I knew for what to pray. Is there a God? Should I pray? I hope there's a God. I need an answer to prayer. All of those kinds of emotion are common to humanity. What does God say about that? What does the Bible say about this question of uh, being able to pray in difficult moments, being prepared to pray? Uh, does it make sense to pray? Why should we pray if we should? Romans Chapter 8, verses 26 through 30, hear the word of God. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray together. I'm going to give you a moment for silent prayer. Give you the opportunity to ask God to speak directly to you this morning. 
Father, I thank you that you know every person in this room. You've known us before the creation of the world. You've called us together this morning. It's by by your sovereign will that that we're gathered in this room, this particular group of folks. Uh, There are lots of people gathered in lots of places and houses of worship all over the world today, but you have brought us to this place. It is not by chance. It's because you want to meet with us that you have something to say to us, Lord. It's not what I say. That's of any importance. It is only your word that can transform and change our hearts and our lives, that can give us new life. So we're here, Lord, to sit at your feet and to hear your word. So we pray that you would teach us. As we think about prayer, uh, we have many different reactions to that. Some have been praying for many years, and it's, it's almost uh, just second uh, that anything happens. We're automatically in prayer. Uh, for others of us, we're not even sure you're there, and, and what good would a prayer do? Lord, I, I again, thank you that you know us, and I thank you that you give us your word that speaks into every one of these practical issues in our lives. And so, Father, we ask that you would teach us about prayer this morning. Pray that you would forgive my sin, that you would not let me be a hindrance to what you want to teach us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So Dr. Stone in the movie Gravity found herself in a place where uh, she needed desperately to pray but wasn't sure how to. And so how how do we grow in a life of prayer? Uh, Our sermon in a sentence this morning has to do with the habit of prayer. We're kind of the theme that we're, we're sticking on this month. The habit of prayer is forged in the furnace of life where God's spirit and grace confront our limitations. Uh, clearly, even in that movie clip, you, you could see the limitations of humanity. Uh, she was quite certain she was going to die, and she had no control over that whatsoever. We are, by nature, limited in our scope of understanding and our scope of ability. There is one who is not limited that way, and the question is, does he care about us? The question is, if I find myself in a place where I'm overwhelmed or I'm discouraged or I'm struggling, does, does that God who has created all that is, does he care about me? Uh, does he want me to speak to him? Does he want me to bring my thoughts and concerns before him? Because when we're in the furnace of life, it's probably the place where we're, we most recognize our limitations. It's also the place where God's spirit and God's grace can do the greatest work. I have four observations about this text when it comes to the question of prayer. The first is this. If we're going to pray, we need to know who we are. And I'm going to work through this passage in sequential order, but I'm going to do it a little bit differently this morning. I'm actually going to start in verse 30, and I'm going to work my way back to verse 26. So we're going to go in order, but we're going to go backwards. We need to know who we are. In verse 30, Paul says this, speaking about Christians, speaking about disciples, people who have faith in Christ. So if your faith is in Jesus Christ this morning as your Lord and Savior, here's what Paul says is true in your life. For those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So since I'm in a backwards mood this morning, I'm going to work through this list backwards as well. What is God saying about your identity and my identity in Christ? The first thing he's saying is that we're glorified. Now, I, I do have on a nice, pretty shirt that my wife picked out for me and bought, but I am not yet glorified this morning. I am far from it. And Paul is saying that as if it were a reality right here, right now in this moment. Well, if I, if I, if I understand the rest of Scripture correctly, that's right. 
I am glorified, as good as glorified right now because my faith in Christ guarantees it. The power of Jesus to save me and to hold on to me while I'm on this earth until I see him face to face is insurmountable. Nothing can, can outwork the power of Jesus. So it's as if I'm already in heaven with him glorified. It's a done deal. Well, how did that happen? How could measly Tom Ricks filled with sin not a very nice guy if you really get to know him close up and personal. How is he possibly glorified? Well, it's because he's been justified. It's because he's been made right with God. It's because the, the thing that was outside his power and ability to do to, to make recompense for all the sins he's committed was actually handled at the cross of Jesus Christ. What Jesus did was he took my place. He took the place of, of every sinner who puts their faith in him in order that we could be made right, in order that he could correct something that we could not. It's outside the scope of my power and my will and my ability to atone for all of the wrong I have done, but Christ has done it for me. So now when I stand before God, I stand before God in Christ, which means I'm justified which allows me to be glorified. Well, how did I get this? How did I know this? Am I just one of the lucky ones who happened to be at the right place at the right time when I heard the message? No, it's because God called. It's because God determined that he was going to speak to me. And if you're a believer in Jesus this morning, God has spoken his grace into your life. And it might have happened in an instant. It might have happened when you were an adult. It might have happened when you were a little teeny tiny child or somewhere in between. It might have happened when you were in high school at camp. The first week in June, our high school students are going to camp. We need to pray that week for our high school students as they're away at camp that week. Wherever you met Christ, God spoke to you. You say, well, I cried out to him. Well, long before that happened, he began speaking to you. You've been called by God. Well, why did God call me? It's because he planned it all along. That's what that word predestined means. We get so hung up on the word predestined. I understand there's some theological nuance there. But basically what that's saying is God decided that he was going to save. God made a plan and he's sticking to his plan. And it's a plan of grace and mercy and compassion. You got to know who you are if you're going to develop a habit of prayer in your life. This is an amazing verse to describe your identity and mine. And you know what we did to deserve it? Absolutely nothing. It's a gift of God. We are recipients of God's grace. That's who we are. And more than that, God has not just done this for us, but he's actively doing things in our lives right now. Look at verse 29. Verse 29 said, And those whom he foreknew, he also predestined for what? For two things. First, to be conformed to the image of his Son. What that's saying is that God's intention for you and for me as disciples is that we look more like Jesus that we think more like Jesus, that we speak more like Jesus, and that we act more like Jesus. I don't know about you, but I want to have neighbors all around me who are being conformed to the image of Christ. Think about the servant heart of Christ. Think about the purity in the heart of Christ. Think about the grace in the heart of Jesus. What God is saying is I'm not only going to redeem you, I'm not only going to save you, but I'm going to change you from the inside out. Think about that for just a second. The God of the universe has said to you, I want to make you more like my son. Is there a greater honor that you could ever receive anywhere in all of eternity? I don't think so. That God is redeeming us. Part of who we are is a special project of God's to be conformed to the image of his son 
But how does he do that? He doesn't do it in isolation. In order that he might be the firstborn, that Jesus might be the firstborn of what? Of many brothers of a new community, of a new family made up of men and women, older and younger, uh, adults and children, that we are being transformed in community, that what God is doing, he's doing through the, the, the brothers and sisters around us as they pray for us, as they encourage us, as we walk alongside one another, what God is doing is he's forming a family where when you're in those moments where you're too overwhelmed, you don't know how to pray, you have folks around you that can lift you up and can help carry you. When you have moments where you're so discouraged, you, can't, you, know, you just can't put one foot in front of another, you've got a brother or sister to come alongside and to sit with you. And to understand that and to, and to share the compassion and the grace of God in Christ. A couple of weeks ago, we did some prayer cards. When you came in, uh, there were beautiful little color prayer cards. And we said at the end of the sermon, now we want you to think of something for which uh, somebody could pray for you. Just, you know, it could be a simple prayer request. It could be a profound prayer request. You can put your name on it. You can leave your name off of it. But we asked everybody to fill out that card. And then we collected them. And we put them in baskets out in the hallway. And on the way out, we said, grab one. And open it up, make sure it's not yours. If it's yours, put it back in and get one from somebody else. And then make sure you pray for that person. I grabbed a prayer card out, and I opened it up, and the prayer card said, pray that I would have uh, a joyful heart and a smile on my face. And there was no name on that, on that prayer card. And I've prayed for that every day. So I can't get it out of my mind. There's a brother or sister in Christ, a Green Tree Community Church, who wants God's power to have a joyful heart that would allow them to smile in the midst of their circumstances. I'm going to pray for that all the time. They're not alone in that. They've, they've got a brother walking alongside them. We have this larger community of, of, of brothers and sisters in Christ. And it was really interesting the last week or two, because as, as a pastor, you hear when things go well, and you hear when things go poorly. You have the opportunity to get all kinds of feedback. And let me say, don't be bashful about your feedback. If you think there's something that we don't know, that, that we need some attention, if we think we're getting something wrong, please let us know that. Just make sure you do it with a Christ-like attitude. Right? Just make sure the way you do it is kind and is thoughtful. Just make sure when you read it, say, I'm sending this to the pastor because he invited me to. Would I want to receive this note? And as long as you'd want to receive that note, please send it. We need that kind of care. But I got a lot of feedback on the prayer, on the cards. And the feedback was, could we do this more often? Could, 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 we, could we intentionally pray for each other? And, and every response I got was not, I'm so thankful that people are praying for me. I want more people praying for me. It's I need to be reminded to pray. Help me pray for the people in my congregation. we got to know who we are if we're going to pray. Do you understand that, that you're, you're loved by God? You're being conformed to the image of Christ, and he does this in a community of fellowship. It gives us confidence to pray. Secondly, not only knowing who we are, but we need to learn to embrace the big picture. Uh, this is kind of where the rubber meets the road. In this sermon, this is uh, perhaps one of the most misunderstood verses in all of Scripture. I think people have, have made it out to mean something it, it doesn't. But Paul says this, and we know. You should think about that for just a minute. What do you really know? I mean know down deep in your heart. When I was a younger man, I was brilliant. <laughs> I knew so much stuff. You should have caught me when I was like 28 30, I was a rocket scientist, and now I'm just getting dumber every day. <laughs> I know that I, a lot of stuff I don't know. 
But what Paul is about to say, he says with confidence. He doesn't say we surmise. He doesn't say we're guessing at this. He says, here's what disciples of Jesus who are walking in a broken world, who are struggling in their own faith, here's what we know. For those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. There's the plan and the calling, again, mentioned right there. Now, you've got to read this carefully. It's like, uh, in a sense, like somebody giving you a contract and saying, read the fine print. This does not say all things are good. And that's where this teaching gets abused. Uh, or gets misrepresented in the Christian community. We tend to become fatalistic and say, well, if it happened, it must be good. Did you hear about the Presbyterian that fell down the flight of stairs and he got up and he said, well, I'm glad that's over? (laughs) Got to think about it for a little bit. If you're a Baptist, you won't get it. Come to me. I'll explain it to you later. But that's the fatalistic side of our thinking. It's like, boy, God must have planned it, so I'm glad that's behind me. Now I can move on to the next thing, and hopefully it'll be nicer than this one. That's not what this verse says. This verse says there's terrible things in the world, but that God can use any circumstance. Notice what it says. God, he does not say that, that, that everything is good, but that God works all things. So you think about things like broken relationships. That's not good. You think about things like serious illness. That certainly isn't good. Loss, disappointment in some area of your life, you know, whether it's your job or or your school, wherever it may be. These are things that are not good. I had an experience yesterday afternoon that I can promise you about 5 o'clock in the afternoon, it was not a good experience. That's my lawnmower. <laughs> and that's not a made-up picture. I, that, what do you call that, Photoshop? That is not a Photoshop picture. That is about two minutes after I jumped off of it when I noticed the flames were, and about two minutes before the police, or before the fire department showed up and put it out. Uh, Don't know what happened, but my lawnmower caught a fire and burned up yesterday. The good news about that is I got to have a neighborhood gathering in the front yard. (laughs) And I needed to connect with some of my neighbors, and and I was able to do so. The other good news about this is our property is here, and my mom's property is there, and I kind of make a circle in front of the house while I'm cutting the grass and do the same in the back. So I was actually on my mom's property when it caught on fire, so... (laughs) It's my mom's grass, and that is going to have a big grease spot for a while. But Now, that's a silly example. I have insurance. I'll get a new lawnmower. It's not that big of a deal. But the facts are, that wasn't very fun at the moment. It wasn't very good. But there are a lot of things that are a lot more serious than that that you have had in your life and I've had in my life that have we would say have been bad. And Scripture isn't saying that's not true. Scripture is saying, how can you be so immature? What Scripture is saying is when, when you're in that moment, look at God. Because he's the only one that can take something as bad as this and can turn it into something for his good purposes. God works all things for the good of his loved one. He's the father that never misses the opportunity to leverage life's experiences to our benefit. Uh, I asked some friends early this week, this past week, uh, if they had any thoughts about moments when they didn't know how to pray, uh, because we're going to get to that verse eventually, verse 26, and what was that experience like for them? And, and several folks responded to me. Here's one of the responses I received. This person wrote, I would never have thought of praying what I did when I was at my lowest. No one else could do anything more. I knew the doctors had done all they could. God, if he's, uh, if he's to get better, it is by your will. 
It never dawned on me that those words came from the Holy Spirit. I can see that now. That was when I wasn't even sure if there was a God, much less that he would make the time to listen to me and answer that prayer the next day. And then the, the, the sign of, with, the, with the, all the, the exclamation points and question marks, the sign uh, of shock. God can take a, a moment that is terrifying, a moment that seems to kind of end everything good in our lives. And God can use that, not redefine it as good and, and, and wonder why we're so immature that we don't get it, but he can use that moment in a good way. And it's only God who can work all things for good because it's only God who actually knows all things. But because he knows all things, he, can le he leverages that knowledge in order to work in the lives of his children, to conform us to the image of Christ, to, to, to make that process uh, of salvation more glorious and more beautiful, which means we've got to embrace the big picture. We, we've got to read this verse for what it says, but we also have to uh, receive it in the intention of which it was given from a loving father. Thirdly, I observe in this passage that it gives us the opportunity to understand the unity of the Godhead. Look at verse 27, the second verse in this passage. And he, that's God the Father, who searches hearts, knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Father knows our hearts. He, it says he searches the hearts. Notice he, he doesn't say he searches our minds, although he knows what we think, but it's talking about our emotions there. It's saying that God knows the emotions of your heart. He knows your joy. He knows your fear. He knows the places where you're at peace. He knows the things that make you incredibly angry. He understands when you have moments of hope, and he also understands when you are at your wit's end and you despair. He understands resentment and worry. He knows our hearts, but he doesn't sit idly by with that information. But he works in lockstep with the Spirit of God. Because he not only searches the hearts, but he knows the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Father and the Spirit are in lockstep together as the Spirit constantly prays for us even when we falter. So think about this if you're parents or maybe you grew up in a home like this where your mom and dad you actually had a really hard time outwitting them or outmaneuvering them because they always seem to be together. Uh, in, in, in their decisions on how they were going to raise you. One of the things that Cindy and I tried to do from our earliest years, because we had some folks that gave us some great advice, is like, you know, you guys can disagree on how to raise the kids, but just don't do it in front of the kids. Go get in a side room and, and do whatever you need to do to figure it out, but have a unified front when you approach your children. Your children should never be able to say, dad thinks this, mom thinks that. You got to get together, work it out so that when, when you're with them, they can't go, oh, I can go around that way and get dad to do this. I get mom to do No, it's one. They're together. And the Spirit of God, God the Father, are completely unified on God's will for our lives. And this unity protects us. This unity guards our hearts and our minds, and it actually allows us to go deeper in our prayer lives. Therefore, my fourth observation is in the first verse. We gain a perspective for prayer. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. The first perspective that I gain uh, now as a child of God, I know who I am. Uh, I'm understanding the big picture a little bit better, and I know that God is working all this in partnership with the Holy Spirit that helps me understand that my weakness uh, isn't a setback. 
My weakness isn't going to keep me from a, a vital prayer life. But I do need to acknowledge that I'm weak. I do need to acknowledge that I don't understand it all. That there are times when, when I simply do not know how to pray. And we normally put that under times of difficulty and times of stress. And that's absolutely true. But there are probably times of great joy where we miss the opportunity to give thanks to God and to praise God because we just get so caught up in the moment. So what Paul is saying is we're finite. We, we're, we're not uh, you know, able to see all and understand all. We have limitations, but even in our limitations, God can do something. So I, what I understand here is that I need help, that I need God to work in my life, that I'm not alone, and that the Spirit does what? The Spirit himself intercedes for us. He helps us. I want to concentrate on that word helps for just a second. Go back to John's gospel in chapter 16. Jesus is going to the cross the next day. He's getting ready to go to the cross. He's, he's sitting with his, his 12 friends, and he's giving them some last-minute instructions. And, and, and one of the things he's saying is, I'm going away. And one of the things they're responding is saying, don't go away. That's the, that's the worst thing you could do. And Jesus says, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. You see what is going on here? We are weak. That's what, that's what Paul's acknowledging in verse 26 in Romans 8. Jesus knew his disciples were weak. They were all going to abandon him within a few hours. But Jesus says there's hope and help on the way in the form of the Holy Spirit. So I want you to think about what you do for a living, or if you're in school, what you're preparing to do, what kind of career that you may have, uh, or if you're retired, think about what you did. And what I want you to think about is who are the best people in your line of work? If you could sit down and talk to two or three people who are the very best folks, who would that be? So I'm a, I'm a preacher and a pastor by trade, and so I made my list this week. I thought if, if I could sit down with these preachers and, and learn from them, you know, I would, that could go to a whole different level. So the guy in the middle with like the little white thing around his neck, that's Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards was not only probably the, the greatest pastor and preacher that has ever been produced in the United States, he's one of the greatest thinkers in the United States. You can go find uh, secular atheists who don't even believe there's a God, but who are, who are uh, up to speed on the history of the United States. And they would argue that Jonathan Edwards is one of the greatest minds America has ever produced. But he was an amazing preacher. I want to get some advice from him. The guy over there in the right-hand corner, that's Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon preached thousands of sermons to uh, probably in the course of his lifetime to over a million people. He had a way with words that was just absolutely amazing. Uh, the face up there in the corner, obviously, is Billy Graham of the last generation. Billy Graham preached all over the world. He knows how to preach a sermon or two. And then a, a more recent hero is Tim Keller, the pastor at Redeemer Church, who is probably the leading preacher in the Reformed community in the United States in this last generation. If I could get that kind of help, Boy, y'all be set. <laughs> y'all be so much happier uh, if I could get that kind of help. What Paul is saying is, do you understand the astounding help that is at your fingertips? Do you understand that you're never alone when you go to prayer? But that the best of the best of the best. Who's the best prayer? It's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> he intercedes for us. He knows our hearts. He knows the will of God. And he brings those two things together. We're not alone. 
It gives us a great perspective that draws us into prayer. I wish Dr. Stone in the movie Gravity, I wish somebody had taught her to pray because the Holy Spirit of God is there to speak into the brokenness of our lives and to inform our prayer lives. I mentioned to you that I asked some friends uh, about this notion of praying when you didn't know how to pray. I'm going to share with you two other quick responses and then we're going to go to communion. One of my friends said this, uh, looking back on their life, I was at a loss for what to ask God for at that time. And I just fell on my knees on the kitchen floor and told God that I didn't know what to do or say. I felt like someone was with me. By the time I got back to her, it was resolving. And though she has had other problems, that problem has never come back. I was never more weak and helpless than in that moment with the Lord. Uh, And then one other friend's story, recollection. When our son was so very ill, my heart was broken for him. All the dreams of a future in question. I didn't know how to pray, and I groaned in deep, in deep pain. I wanted a miracle, but didn't know if I believed it would really happen. It was a very bleak day in February. The outside world was gray. No leaves on the trees, dead grass. I looked out the window, and as tears ran down my cheeks, suddenly the most brilliant red cardinal flew to a branch right in front of me. Good thing that we live in St. Louis Cardinal. I mean, how could you possibly paint that any better? At that moment, I knew that God was with us. However it played out, there was a turning point in my faith journey. A cardinal continues to show up for me from time to time when we are in crisis, which has been often. Uh, What I hope you see in those stories is not that, you know, everything just ended up being perfect and wonderful and They all lived happily ever after. This friend goes on to speak of continued challenges in life, but that God's there. God's there. The habit of prayer is forged in the furnace of life when God's spirit and grace confront our limitations. Therefore, let's pray. Father, teach us to pray. Teach us to be people of prayer. Father, continue to grow in our hearts a desire and a longing to speak with you and to listen to you. Father, we are a people who need prayer, and you've gathered us together as a community in this particular time, in this particular place in history. You've given us to one another as gifts to one another. Part of that gift is is the gift of prayer. So, Lord... Uh, As this month unfolds and we continue to explore the opportunities we have to grow in our prayer lives, I pray that you would strengthen us, that you would uh, encourage us, that you would correct us when we we fail to pray, that you would remind us uh, it is, is an integral part of our lives. Father, thank you that in our weakness, you're not one step ahead, you're a thousand steps ahead. You've already provided the helper. It's because you plan to save us from eternity past, and you will not let go of us. In that knowledge, Lord, teach us to pray. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.